0: I wanted a good keyboard and there weren't any out there. I figured, well, how hard could this be? And then we built the best keyboard we possibly could. It's not what you'd
1: expect from a keyboard, but people love it. Creating a keyboard is kind of a weird thing. It's been an obsession. All right, Wes. Can you master the keyboardio that runs Linux in a beautiful hardware body? It is the keyboardio, a mechanical switch keyboard, custom sculpted keycaps, It's a dream to type on, and it sells for $329. Wes Payne has it here in-studio hooked up USB-C to his laptop. It has Arduino boards inside. Wes Payne, can you light the Keyboardio on fire? What do you think, sir? Well, it's either going to look beautiful or turn into a brick. One way or the other, a lot of fun. We'll do it live on this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. Keyboardio, the only keyboard where you can install plugins that make it look like your keyboard is on fire. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 279 for December 11th, 2018. Oh, welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's making its list and checking it twice. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Hello, Wes. I'm very excited about today's show. Not only because you're lighting your keyboard on fire, you maniac, but we're going to share a WireGuard success story this week. We implemented that brand new Linux VPN in production here at Jupyter Broadcasting. And it kicked butt. Yeah, Chris doesn't hate it. I mean, that's how you know. I <laughs> know it was really great. And uh, man, is it fast. We'll tell you about our WireGuard success story. But first, we're going to start out with a big batch of community news, a little check-in on the Ubuntu 19.04 development cycle. I'm running it here today in the studio. And a potential fix for that crazy CPU System D dominating issue I talked about last week that was wrecking my box And then we'll finally introduce the name of our automation system that you voted on. You did it. Not our fault. Can't blame us for this one. (laughs) We're innocent. We totally. And then we'll wrap up the show if time allows. You know, because time. Actually, it's Joe, really. (laughs) If Joe allows. He gets mad. He does. He gets mad. Uh, But if Joe allows uh, and time permits, we have not one, but two fantastic fricking picks this week that are really great. And one of them, That just might bring me back to Reddit. But before we go any further, we got to bring in that virtual lug time appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Good morning. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello, Mr. Badger, Minimec Sean, and the Silent Drifter. It's good to see you. And we have a whole bunch up in quiet listening, too. Wes, how are you doing? You feeling all right? You good? You didn't get sick? Yeah, no, I don't
0: I think I'm I think I've recovered any any you know amount of I was pretty tired. We got back and yeah. I definitely yeah.
1: definitely crashed, but after that I was exhausted. I was convinced I was going to get sick. Wes and I just got back from the Linux Academy holiday party. And we're now, we're like hoorah full of team spirit. (laughs) It really, you know, and they do these things and I'm like rolling my eyes. I'm like, oh, team building exercises. I I will admit to being conditioned from some of my past employers to have a very similar attitude. But the game shows uh, that were uh, hosted by Tom Hazlitt were uh, pretty good. And one of the final questions, it was like a family feud style. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to mention this. Dude, how can I not? You have to, yeah. I'm still I was sore. going to mention it if I'm, you didn't. I am still upset about this. Uh, this was like Friday morning this happened, and now it's Tuesday of the next week, and I'm still upset. So it's family feud style, name Linux distributions, right? And so like, if you surveyed Google or, the, or people or whatever the scenario was, these were the top 10 Linux distributions, the top five Linux distributions. And uh, so, you know, First group, first table shouts out Ubuntu, you know, because it's their turn. Uh, that family Ubuntu goes up, boom, number one on the board. Like, of of course. course, of course, right? So then they shout out uh, another distribution. I can't remember what it was, uh, and uh, wasn't on the board. So uh, you know, they, they so they so they lose. Switches to our table, the other family, and at this point, like it's it's a process of elimination, and it's down to us and them. And I'm all in. And I'm like, this is my domain. I know what the popular distros are. This is what you were hired for. Right. So he turns to me. you know, Mr. Fisher, what's your answer? I say, Tom, Linux Mint. Right? Because that's a huge, lots of desktop users use. I mean, we don't talk about it a ton because we don't use it. But lots of of new users to Linux use Linux Mint. Ubuntu made sense. Linux Mint. Not on the list. Not on the list. Nothing. You You know what was on the top five list? Manjaro. Not Linux Mint but Manjaro. How can I not be sore about that? How can I not be sore about that? I'll tell you what. Now
0: apparently this was sourced from like Google rankings, yeah. yeah. So
1: maybe there's some something there. I'm using Manjaro right now. You are not helping at all. I, you know what it is? is that <laughs> with
2: KDE though, so it's all fine.
1: I'm just saying, like, would anybody in this mumble room disagree with the statement that Mint is way larger than Manjaro?
2: No, 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 right? I mean, I mean, it's a great distribution. I've never actually met a Mint user in the in real life, though.
0: I will disagree. Oh, gee. Just for the sake of
1: disagreeing. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: And there's Dar. Dar's made it to the mumble room.
1: Um, I'll say this though: great fun. There's a lot of really smart people. We're gonna start figuring out how to get some of them on the shows because. These people really think about this stuff a lot. You you made some friends. You were out, you were really, you know, Wes Payne. Wes Payne is a gentleman socializer, I'll tell you. Shucking and jiving out there
0: well I mean it was nice right there's a, especially at a company where most people work remotely mm-hmm. this is a, this was a great opportunity to get to meet some people and yeah,
1: yeah everyone's nice and they just want they want to help people learn cool new stuff. My biggest regret really is that we didn't bring Joe out we're like we were on the fence we're yeah. like it's not enough time mm-hmm. we should have given we should have known more time. it was just it just didn't work out this time but so we'll have to treat him well Next at Linux time. fest oh yeah yeah we'll treat him well at Linux fest all right well uh, while Wes is hacking away do you have, you are you actually doing your input over the keyboardio right now? I started to, and then it was very, very slow. It's an unusual
0: layout. It's not QWERTY. It's not QWERTY. It is, no. No. I but, think I could get used to it with time, but yeah. uh,
1: for the sake of, you know, we have a small amount of time that, Joe, as we said, I'm yeah. cheating a bit. Okay. All right. Well, we'll check in with you later on the show and see how it's going. So we had a tweet come in to me and the Ubuntu podcast uh, from Crimbus. He says, yo, at Chris Lass, I'm tired of depending on our internet to play movies for the kiddo. I was trying to rip some DVDs tonight using VLC and Acid Rip in hopes to run them off of a home server. But either the video ends up glitchy, <laughs> AF, as he says, or there's no audio. Any suggestions? Now, I gave him a quick rundown of the tools I use, um, like m- MakeMKV and Handbrake. Oh, yeah, those are both great. Yeah, uh, If you want full quality, MakeMKV, bring it in via Blu-ray and just put it. You just drop all of the different video files and languages you don't need, and you end up with a large-ish file, but it's the exact um, encoding right off the disk. So it's as good as it's going to be on the disk. If you needed smaller from there, so like in uh, ch- uh case here, he's making it for the kiddos. Kiddos, you know what? They don't care if it's 720p versus 1080p or 4K. You could put it in 720p and upscale it, and they're going to be okay. Uh, and so you could run it through Handbrake, you know, and get yourself a nice small file. But, yeah, that adds up if you have a lot of those, you know. So that was the tools part. But then the, the, the big question is, how do you serve this up to the kiddos? And my answer from when he tweeted this to what I'm going to say now has dramatically changed in the last week. Thanks to the people over at Envy. I was going to be really derogatory. I'll just say the people over at Envy who uh, are shattering our dreams of an open source Plex competitor this week by announcing that they're shifting to a closed source core with open source components, which is the exact model Plex uses, actually. In fact, it may yeah, be much. now at this point, Plex has more open source code in it than MB does, depending on wh- where they fall on this whole thing, where it all falls down. And MB is sort of botching the communication. In their release, there's some implications that make you read between the lines. And then when people ask for clarification on GitHub, the project came out and explained in further detail what was going on. It does seem like communication has been one of those things that have uh, the community has not always been happy with for, for a couple of years <sighs> in this project. This is a big shame, because this was, I think, its biggest feature for our community, was the fact that it was open source. You could use it without having to have an MB Cloud account if you wanted to. I I have it running on a droplet for ages now and here at the studio, and I like it so much, I didn't want them to change anything. I became a premium subscriber just to support them. Just yep. be- I wanted them to stick around.
2: I did the same
0: exact thing. It's a real shame. And it was nice too, right? Because it, I mean, it was open source, so it was easy to package. I have like an
1: arch system that's running it, and it was just mm-hmm. install MB and away and go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it feels like this is still kind of developing, so we don't have all the details yet. So I don't wanna like raise the full panic flag. I wanna give them time to communicate better what's going on.
2: It couldn't have come at a worse time either. Like the the whole um Plex community over the last couple of months on Reddit's been getting slowly more and more toxic. Yeah. Go figure it's, it's Reddit, right? But um the 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 Plex clients and UIs have been going through all sorts of
1: Hmm
2: crazy my 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 uncle is is in vancouver and he streams from my plex server all the time and they updated his roku this week and he's been texting me all week he's 70 right he's been texting me all week how do i use this new version of plex i'm like i don't know i don't have a roku i can't help and so now he's stuck and so thanks plex for that so i think um there was a lot of people in a similar situation looking for a decent alternative and mb is was it Um, but now, uh, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Drifter, have you run into this with your Roku? Oh, absolutely. And it's really obnoxious too, because like, not only did they not really like tell you about it, it just kind of all of a sudden you went to go use it and it was completely different. Oh yeah. it's good stuff. That's exactly what you want on the TV when you want to just sit down, turn it on and chill out. It's so frustrating. Yeah, I think the problem with Plex is they've been taking their eye off the ball a little bit, and they're trying to focus, ironically for me to say this, but they're trying to focus on web media, like podcasts and stuff. And while I'm kind of like, cool, another platform to distribute our shows on, That's good as the content creator, but like the viewer of me is like, no, I just
0: want this to work really well. I I have a whole bunch of
1: offline media I want to watch. I've got a USB drive plugged into this machine, and I just want you to index it really well and keep track of what I've watched and make it possible for me to watch it on my portable devices. Yeah. And I think in the past, MB has had, has benefited. Like it, you know, it had great integration
0: with Kodi, which I use a lot, and that works very well. So there, I think there's been some of that spirit, right? You know, it's open. You can kind of hack on it as you need to. You can make this sort of rich ecosystem around it. I don't, I don't know. I kind of worry about that now too.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I I use the Nvidia Shield, which I know you do too, Chris. Love it. And um, the the Plex uh, Android client has, has gotten slowly less and less. Like you just want to click on something and it just should just work yeah. first time every time, and it tries to transcode everything. So. To fix that, I have gone into the into Kodi and installed Plex for Kodi, and now everything plays direct play first yep. time every time. So, yep. along the same lines as Wes, really, like Kodi, C- thank God, is the answer.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly uh, how I use it now too. Because uh, a lot of times when I'm in the RV, I'm connected via a MiFi, and if it's if it's going out to the Plex uh, cloud to even broker the connection over my LAN. Uh, which sometimes even I'm trying to play over my land, it wants to broker a connection over the internet. Uh, Cody solves that problem every single damn time. So whatever we land on here in this conversation, uh, keep that in the back of your mind. Cody is a great a great tool for that. So we had a, we had a little look around, and Wes, you found a couple of things. First of all, let's just start with the. One to one replacement, uh, Jellyfin has been announced, which is a fork of Embi. Right? At- Are you laughing at my pronunciation of it? No, I was just enjoying it. <laughs> How, how would you say it? Oh, I know. Mean, I, I wasn't. I'm not arguing. No. Would you fin? Would you say gel? No, because it's got a no jellyfin. Is I think. One. I think jelly jellyfin. Yeah. Jellyfin. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You're just working over. The- I'm just enjoying. You said it so well. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I tried it. If I'm gonna mispronounce it, I'm gonna try to mispronounce it with some level of confidence, just so that way it doesn't like make people like. Does it's not distracting? Right? Exactly. Because if I sit here and I and I torture myself over it, that's distracting. Like this conversation is. Um, They forked it right at the point before all this happened. And did you note in here, too, that they they talk about they're rebasing some of it on .NET Core as well. Hey, that's kind of neat. Isn't that fascinating? Uh, So Jellyfin is a fork of MB. The MB crew basically said, good luck with that. That was essentially their response to it. So (laughs) I don't see what that
0: means. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. How how many people will move over? Will there be a new community over at Jellyfin?
1: Maybe, maybe. Well, all we need to do... These, these fork guys to actually set up a subscription model. We subscribe there and we let them see who actually had good luck. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Yeah. But Wes, you also found this streamserver.org. Is that what it is? Is that what the URL is? Streamserver.org or Streama? Streama. Streama. server.org, which is a really kind of low... Low feature, I like. It. It's an MVP, straight. Yeah, it's like a minimum viable streaming system, but it is, in fact, a video library organizer and streamer that apparently also has a Google Play app.
0: I did also notice one one feature which I have not tried, although I did. It was pretty easy to get running. I have not been able to make it run in a way that we could actually use it but <laughs> it is just a war file that you can execute if you uh, have Java so that's easy uh, it says here live sync watching
1: watch with your loved ones remotely with sync for play pause up. and scrubbing and if that is true that's money game changer that's something that Wes and I have been trying to figure out because when I'm traveling I have to stop watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and I've been marathoning Deep Space Nine nothing makes you grumpy with that you know when you don't get your nine and now season five's taken forever right so if we could do this that would be huge It'd be huge! All right, you gotta get that. You gotta get. You gotta try that, Wes. That'd be great. And I know you want to try to solve the same thing. So Streama is the one that may also be an alternative if Cody doesn't work for you. I don't know about that though. So what? So it's a it's a Java app, is what it is. It's all Java. It's all Java. I mean, and I B- guess that's B- fine. B- or, or .Net Core. Yeah. No, I guess that's fine. Java is cross platform. No, I know, I know, I know. It's true. It's just I don't know. I don't know why it just gives me pause. I shouldn't, right? I'm I'm bad. I shouldn't. It shouldn't. It probably makes it even easier to run it on any Linux distro and stuff like that. So I guess in a lot of ways, it's it's pretty good. Yeah, I already had Java installed. So, all right. Well, uh, so I, a little a little uh, sneaky fact here, even though I already told you, uh, I've been running Ubuntu nineteen oh four all day here what? on our production system just to give it a go off of a live off of a live USB three, uh, and I thought maybe we'd do a little Disco Dingo uh, roundup. <laughs> So Disco Dingo is uh, set to be released on uh, February 12th, I think. No, it's the feature freeze. Feature freeze is February 21st, 2019, and the UI freeze March 4th, 2019, and the kernel freeze April 1st. Wow. That is a lot of specific dates. This is an article that Joey wrote for OMG Ubuntu, and the release date is April 18th, 2019. Oh, that's right, April 18th. Look forward to it. Mm-hmm. I'm thrilled, Wes. I'm, I'm thrilled. Uh, So this is kind of uh, fun to just sort of take a look at where it's at right now. If all goes to plan, it'll be shipping GNOME 3.32, Linux kernel 5.0, possibly, if it's ready, if it's ready. And um, a bunch of other little uh, performance uh, tweaks to GNOME. I actually shouldn't say no uh, little. In fact, there's some pretty significant performance tweaks to GNOME Shell in 1904. In fact, enough. That's kind of got me a little, a little um, tempted to give this a go once it's released. Not that plasma hasn't been, plasma still been doing great. But if they shook out a lot of the performance fixes, the with, call, the call of gnome, I can see it in your eyes. Well, you've got mad. The area where they're doing extensive work right now is in multi-monitor performance and management, and that is an area in which I am struggling right now. Now that I've got that dock with three monitors. Yeah, you're in a new world. Mm, it's a new multi-monitor Who would have world. thought that's what would bring you back to new? Um, not me. Not me, no. Um, is, there, uh, is there anything that jumps out at you about the, you know, so this is a Ferronix article here that talks about some of the performance fixes. Is there any in particular in this uh, roundup that Michael's done here that r- jump out at you?
0: Okay, well, they are working on showing pending kernel live patches via the update manager that user interface. Nice. That yeah, because I mean, yeah, right now you don't get to see that at all. No, and live patches are kind of a nice of feature that you might not get or at least yeah. as well integrated on some other distros. Yeah, I use it on uh, these two systems. Oh, really? Yeah, on
1: these two on the desk here. Yeah, that's, that's nice, I think.
0: Of course, you know, there's like latest packages and all the other goodies. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, except for Nautilus. Except for Nautilus, I have been following their Trello, which is public. Turns out for uh, Ubuntu nineteen oh four, and this is where I started to get an idea of the level of fixes that are coming into GNOME Shell. I'm not positive all of this is going to be upstream. I mean, they're they're submitting it upstream. You never know
0: what's actually going to get taken. I'm not.
1: Right? Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure it's getting accepted. Important question. How much of these fixes uh, that are being um, pushed for are advent of IBM acquisition? Oh no, I think a lot of this has been in play since uh, Canonical switched to GNOME because uh, a couple of the individuals I've met them at a, at a, an Ubuntu rally, and while I mean this was was this April of last year, was that April? That was April of last mm-hmm. year. Yep, where they were talking about how they were going to start working on. Um, fixing performance issues upstream in GNOME. And uh, that they did a lot of that uh, recently, but 1904 seems, when I read through their Trello, it seems like it's a huge list of them. And it just makes me wonder if maybe it's going to be time to give GNOME another go, and if maybe the Ubuntu spin of GNOME might be a particular performed or performance. I don't know. It's just worth
0: trying, I think. Well, I mean, and we were coming into our own right. I mean, it's not that long that, They switched back to GNOME in the first place. So now we're kind of seeing some of the, we've lived here for a while, what do we got to fix?
1: So I've been trying it here. Uh, It pretty much right now looks like 1810 theme-wise and look-wise. It's got the, you know, more updated apps. It's got the new GNOME shell, including that new GNOME to-do list manager, which we were playing around with on the pre-show stream. Yeah, it looks nice. Yeah, it is nice. And you know what? It is very quick. Even for running off a USB 3.0 thumb drive, it's very quick. It's very, very quick. So it's got that new fresh feel. So it's you know you have to know what's like. I mean, like you're to, doing the show here today, no yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah. The only thing I don't have is our highlights for the for the shows. But I can, I suppose I can, I can probably figure that out. But yeah, it's not bad. And um, the GNOME UI itself, I I like some of the tweaks Canonical's done. I really like their doc. And I don't use it a lot, you know, because I'm I'm a I'm a Plasma user, so I haven't used their their version of GNOME pretty much since they've launched it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was pretty much when I switched to Plasma. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not bad. It's actually a pretty damn good implementation, and um, you combine it with the new GNOME 3 settings the screen. You know that's been around for a while, and yep. it's just it's, I like it. It feels polished. kind of simple. Yeah, simple. And yeah, polished. it's simple and polished. And uh, the uh, Thunderbolt 3 support now is also Ugh. extra appreciated mm. Mm. more than ever. More than ever, Wes. So yeah, I give it. A, I give it the old thumbs up here on the uh, Linux Unplugged review. I'd say they're in a right in the right direction, stability wise. It's been, I've just been running it for the day so i can't make like a firm like oh yeah it's it's the most stable release ever but um legitimately in the past i i did have gnome shell crash on me at this point like it didn't take more than an 8 hour work day to have gnome shell crash on me and i've made it that far so that's that's pretty good that they, is pretty good i'm looking forward to the disco dingo got to it, dingo, dingo, dingo. Gotta play it twice you know cuz it's so great It's the first thing I thought of when they made it. Amazing. Isn't that great? It is great. But Canonical is also making some news this week in the enterprise space. It is Kubicon, Kubicon North America is going on just down the street from us this week. And Canonical is making some noise really before the event has even opened its doors. And uh, they've been working in the Kubernetes space since 2014. But this year, I think they're really trying to say, this is our offering. Yeah, that is
0: right. One of those things that got people talking was micro-K8s.
1: What? Yeah, micro, Chris. Is this already a known thing, a micro-K8, or is this something they've made up, as far as you know?
0: Well, it's it's a new project. It's there, it's there. There's already, you know, there's already attempts okay. like Minikube to get a system running just for development. You know, want to play with it on one box. I asked you to set up that Kubernetes cluster weeks ago, and you still haven't finished yeah. tying all the
1: string together. That is true, that is true. Well,
0: now, you, with the snap install micro-K8s, That job would be done for you.
1: Oh, I see. So it's like a full, complete, (laughs) ready-to-go-out-of-the-box, or-out-of-the-snap, Kubernetes environment. Yeah, full-featured includes automatic updates,
0: well-defined security capabilities, and some of Canonical's open-source add-on services, such as a container registry, storage pass-through, and native GPGBU enablement. Oh, for hardware acceleration and machine learning workflows. Nice. Yeah, if you've got those GPUs, if you've got those GPUs, too many Gs and too many. If you CPUs. need
1: to compute those GPUs on those GPUs, then you're set. Oh yeah, in um, the cloud. <laughs> and with this now, like you can see the game they're playing is they're wrapping it up with that Ubuntu Advantage support as well. So now they're making this an offering for their enterprises and Ubuntu Advantage subscription. So if you need Canonical support and taking care of managing all of this, and yeah, a, a big thing about
0: that too is is it you can get that support for clusters you've built with Cube ah. Admin. And so if you already just built your own cluster and then you want Canonicals help manage Retroactively. it, you don't have to have it all set up, customized by them to get started with that. So that's a big selling point. That's that's what a hungry company does. Mm-hmm. Hungry in a good way. Like, we know this will be painful. Probably you've done some things wrong yeah. that we would have never done, but yeah. we want your business and we want to help.
1: Yeah, and that's that is a way Canonical, isn't that a great example of how Canonical can be competitive in a way that IBM can't? IBM will, I mean, they'll come in and charge you to fix it, but you, what IBM wants is you do it to the standard, right? That's what Red Hat wants too, is you do it to the standard. And if you could deviate from the standard, it may not be a supported configuration. And what Canonical is implicitly saying here is, we'll bail you out. And that, that cluster F that you've built, will manage it for you and fix it up. And that's a... That's a hungry play, and I like it. Yeah, they were also talking about some new
0: partnerships with people like Dell EMC and Supermicro. So those Mm. are both big names in big server business, so, you know. They, they are really trying to get their name out there in that space, which has been kind of dominated by Red Hat, at least in like the Kubernetes area.
2: Yeah, it has. I kind of find out, uh, I found out a really interesting tidbit. Do you know why it's called K8s? You probably do. I only found out the other day. It's because they took eight letters out of the middle of Kubernetes. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> okay, that's what it
1: is. I, I, I could have sworn that when we were, we did an episode for TechSnap, and I did a ton of research, and I think I've, I've unlearned a lot of the things I learned from that episode because that was in there. That's funny. That's good. I don't think also it's no small achievement here that you can now get a as they call it, a micro kubernetes setup with a snap install command. That's that is it's a pretty good showcase of what snaps can offer in the enterprise is you can take this really complicated system and you can boil it down to a single snap command. Oh, and by the way, it's also going to get updated. Yeah, right. And uh, you can go poke,
0: you know, go poke at it, see what's in there. Go take a look at the at the YAML file, see how it's put together. Um,
1: play with it yourself. Ah, oh, well, that'd be interesting to see how that plays out. I think that's a space they can be pretty competitive in. And just kind of anecdotally today, I think it was Badger that mentioned when he got in here that DigitalOcean has taken their Kubernetes support out of beta and made it like an official thing. So you could have Ubuntu boxes on premises, you could have Ubuntu boxes on different cloud providers, and you're managing all from one
2: Kubernetes system. Like, Not to sound too much like you six weeks ago before you got bought out, but um, I span up a, a Kubernetes cluster on Do in maybe three minutes.
1: That's pretty nice.
2: And you only pay for the app nodes. You don't pay for the workers or anything. So it's kind of like the the GKS or the EKS model, ECS model, sorry. Rumor
1: on the street has it you can still get $100 credit if you go to do.co slash LNL. That's the rumor. I I don't know. Woo! I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, if you still want to try out Kubernetes, if you want to go try out, you know what? Because the thing is, we're both still users. Like we are, yeah. Were you not using DigitalOcean this weekend? True? This weekend? I, I or, spun up a high CPU droplet last night. Oh, last night. That's when it was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a high CPU droplet, well, huh? Mm-hmm. What were you doing? Uh, video about, encoding? Video encoding, weren't you? You're doing something I mean, maybe, with video. Maybe, maybe a little bit. I mean, high CPU? No, math? You're doing something with math. Yeah, that's. that's you were doing mathy stuff? He's a math nerd, guys. He doesn't talk about it much on air, but Wes is a math There's nerd. There's
0: a lot going on. Well, yeah, it,
1: you know, but this isn't a spiel. Oh, you don't not... want to say. You want to tell me off here. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, I like that even better. All right. Well, uh, this next story is rather interesting. Wouldn't this be a cool feature to come to the uh, x86 side of the house? But for right now, and probably forever, this is a feature coming to the ARM side of Linux, and it's a pretty cool one. It's energy-aware scheduling for the mainline Linux kernel to better handle systems with asymmetric CPU topologies.
0: Energy aware scheduling is designed to take into account information from the ARM energy model framework. So you can make better scheduling decisions based upon the topology of the CPU cores and the performance and power characteristics, right? Because you might have this, this sort of ARM board that's put together with all kinds of different components, and that can vary widely depending on is this for a smart uh,
1: fridge, right? Or is it for your NVIDIA shield device? Right. And those are super different. different. Yeah. That's nice. And the work for supporting energy aware scheduling in the mainline kernel has been in the works for months. And you're not going to be surprised when you learn that Google's Android kernel team has already been supporting this technology in their fork. Of course, but this you know, getting this in the mainline means one less thing that's in the that's in the Android kernel only. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, and if you look at some of the patchwork,
0: the churn of all the work going on here, it's starting to settle down. Hopefully, that means it won't be much longer till we say. It's in the mainline. An energy-aware scheduler sounds
1: pretty neat. Pretty, pretty neat. I, I think that'd be a good, a good addition. You go down the road a few years, some of us might be rocking some Linux ARM laptop of some form, and you could have just fantastic battery life with something like that. That could be really cool. Unless System D UDev is eating 100% of your CPU, then your battery life's going to be horrible, regardless of your CPU architecture. And that's what was happening to me last week. Talked about it on the show. Short version is after I got this Thunderbolt 3 dock with a GPU and I installed the NVIDIA drivers and um, then disconnected my system and booted it without the dock connected, SystemD UDev went crazy, eating up 100% of one of my cores, constantly trying to find the NVIDIA adapter, connect and authorize it, and initialize the driver. And then when that would fail because the hardware didn't exist because the dock was disconnected, it would freak out and use 100% of my CPU. And I discovered I could stop and start UDEV manually and essentially solve this, but I'd have to do it per boot when I'm not connected. Oh, that's pretty annoying. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. But uh, Mike wrote in with a systemd UDEV fix. And what's he doing here, Wes? What's he essentially accomplished with this?
0: I mean, he's basically doing what you were doing on a offhand manner, making it happen for you. At boot time, so you you install the new service, and then all that service is doing is stopping all the various udev things and the sockets that they listen on, starting it back up, and then the rest of this. His article is telling you just how to get that all enabled, so that every time you boot up, that'll happen automatically. Well, that's not a bad work. So it's it's a workaround. I mean, it's a hack. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate that uh, we have to you know that these that udev won't figure it out. For but what itself. I like
1: about it is I don't have to. Uh, I don't have to uninstall the NVIDIA driver. But my question would be, what happens when I am connected to the dock? Don't I want that process
0: to work? Well, you are restarting it. So I say you should do some research and find out. <laughs> and report back to us here
1: next week. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. I will. I will. I'll try to figure that out. All right. Well, uh, before we get in uh, to more, like our WireGuard success oh. story. I'm very excited about WireGuard now. We've been talking about it in, in the theory sense for a while. And uh, this travel week was our opportunity to actually put it in production, and it freaking worked. But uh, a little housekeeping before we go any further in the show. There's a couple of things we need to let you know about. This is your chance, Wes, to get f- some progress on that keyboardio. <laughs> uh, first of all, if you want to get a hold of us, linuxunplug.com slash contact. Please go there. Sign us in your app picks. I'm going to try to do more of those in every episode. And uh, I've got my own feats, of course, but if there's a command line app that you've been loving... Oh, we can't say that. That's command line Lerva's. If there is a command line app that you find to be quite swell. Something you're fond of, you think about at <laughs> night when you're falling asleep. <laughs> no, okay. That's a whole nother thing, Wes. But maybe. com slash contact. Also, just kind of fun little heads up. Wes and I, at the end of this week, are heading to System76 to tour their factory in Denver, Colorado, and uh, sniff out the Thelio hardware. And uh, just get a sense for what kind of scale of an operation they got over there. So I'm really looking forward to it. I that. know. Mm-hmm. Exciting. Wes and I, after just getting to hang out in Texas, are going to get to go hang out in Denver. Uh, they are flying us out there uh, as well as a bunch of other media. And they're doing a tour. And um, I, I I, think I've been talking to them about this for three months now, about doing this. And uh, just trying to really, uh, I mean, I've been a bit skeptical uh, and they know that. And that's actually kind of what I respect about them willing to do this is I've been pretty skeptical about Pop! OS. I mean, I'm I'm still reserving judgment. I want to give it like three. Time to bake, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I want to give it like three or so years to really fully realize. But, you know, I've been pretty skeptical about Pop! OS. I'm kind of skeptical about a small operation opening up a U.S. manufacturing plant in Denver I mean, we're not talking Hardware's like hard. we're not talking Arizona or West Texas where land where they basically are paying you to take the land. We're talking about Denver, right? So um I just been I've been a little skeptical. And so I've been and I feel like they're so important to the Linux community. Uh there was a conversation at Linux Academy, like we want to add another Linux hardware vendor. Who should we add? And the first name that came into the list was System seventy six. And uh I, I, I want to be able to say with confidence, you do it. So this is hopefully what we're going to find out. So we're going there at the end of the week. They're going to give us the tour, and uh, then we'll be back next week and we'll report what we found. I think, it's, nonetheless, we're going to have a great time. I know that's going to happen. I know we're going to have a great time. So System seventy six, uh, props to them for being willing to bring a critic out there. at Times I've, I try to, you know, I just try to be honest because you guys also know I've I've been a ten year customer, well more than that now. So still got three System seventy six rigs. Yeah, I mean, right. I think that's probably an important perspective of. Yeah. I'm are concerned, concerned to, to tell you customer. guys about it, but also, yeah, we want to we want to buy some of these rigs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, that should be good. We'll have a report next week when we get back. And we also have the results of our automation naming system. We've been building a system behind the scenes. We talked about it over the last few episodes. I don't know, actually when, but it's been it's we have talked about it over a few episodes. And it's it's pretty fun because it's not only solving some problems here at Jupyter Broadcasting, but it's given us an opportunity to like, think about releasing our own open source project, and that has been the most fun. And when it was when all, all said and done, that is our goal, is to release something that other podcasters can utilize to automate production, increase quality and accuracy, and maybe even eventually a lot more. I don't want to commit yet, but we have some really great long-term plans. And so we asked you guys, what should we name this tool? This is a tool that we're going to be running all of our shows through. That It'll be like a verb. You know, Make sure you run it through XYZ because it's got to get posted today. Or did that go through XYZ? And uh, we asked you guys. We put it all out there. And we had a bunch of really great suggestions. We got a decent sample size, even for not plugging it too much, uh, 272 votes. Nice. That's. I'll take it. You'd be surprised. That actually does end up being decently representative. doesn't seem like it would be for... Than tens of thousands of downloads, but it actually, the experience tells me it does. Uh, so, one of the submissions with 8% of the votes was Jupiter Podcaster. That's not bad. Uh, JPublish was another popular one, also at 8%. JupiterCaster, 11% um, of the votes. Pod Pusher, which is very cal- close to what Wimpy and Popey have, came in at 11% of the votes. But the number two suggestion, which is pretty good, Which you could, you know, if you're thinking about this as an open source project, this might be the better name of the, of, but, but it's not the one that the people decided. But I like it. It's called Autopod. It's not bad. Autopod. It almost sounds like a podcast app on a phone, though. You know, like a client. Autopods. Assemble. Yeah. (laughs) Running through Autopod. Sounds to me one of those, uh, sorry, Tasker Auto Tools. The guy names everything literally Auto something. Yeah, true, right? There's that danger. Yeah, yeah. So um, that was uh, that was that was that was there though. That was number two, but with 26 percent, 72 votes, 26 percent of the vote, and I think we swung it. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll I'll own that. But it's Casta Blasta, Casta Blasta, which is a callback to the very first podcast that myself, Brian, and John ever did before we even formed a network. We did a show called Castablasta together, which was really where we learned how to record our audio, edit, and all of that stuff. Just starting out. Yeah. Uh. And when we launched Linux Action Show and Radio Revolver and other shows, uh, Castablasta was still... On the air at that time. So it ran for many years of our origin. So I think it's kind of fun now that we're part of Linux Academy and we've gone through all of these evolutions over the years and we're building a system that is really kind of a, a serious professional system, right? There's some, there's some. I don't know. There's something sweet about calling it cast blast, which is when we were so raw and amateur and 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 just at beginning and saying really stupid stuff into microphones that today you could not say into a microphone. You know, you would not say those things. And we said those things. And uh, it was just some other things. Yeah, it was good stuff. It was it was really good. And um, so I think it's sort of fitting. And it's like you're blasting it out there too. So we're gonna call it Castablasta. Thank you, everyone who did vote, and uh, look for more about the Castablasta project very soon. We have uh, we've taken a page from Microsoft's book where they like they call the Surface three different things now. You
2: know, so we're I guess that's the the hip thing to do. You tra- you sound a bit like Mar- Mark Wahlberg saying that Castablasta. Castablasta,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, Castablasta. That's how we used to say it. Castablasta. You put it through the blasta. And then, last bit of housekeeping before we move on with the show is Linux Fest Northwest. Last but absolutely not least, April 26th through the 28th, 2019, at the Bellingham Technical College. If uh, you're international or uh, you're around the States, you fly into SeaTac. You can get shuttles up there. Uh, there are carpools that are forming. And Bellingham is beautiful. The Pacific Northwest is gorgeous. And the Technical College is. One of the better campuses I've ever attended an event on. Been to a few of these now. And the great thing about the technical college is that it's that same place every single year. And this is the 20th year of Linux Fest Northwest. So it's a well oiled machine. They figured out all the, the issues you run into like, the first or second time you're there. We know where our booth is. You know where I know at. right
0: where it is. You know Easy. right where it's at. Right and as does anyone else who's been there yes. the past however just, many years. It's so
1: nice, and you know what rooms to go to, and you know where the food's going to be at. And because of that, the lug that puts on the plug that puts this on the Bellingham Linux Users Group that puts this on can focus on all of the other stuff. You know the content, the talks, the great the great organization they have. That's so huge, and this is their twentieth year. They're doing a theme: past, present, and future. We're going to be there. Joe's flying in. We're going to try to bring as much of the crew in as we can. We're going to try we got to remember to talk to System76 about doing a party. Oh, yes. I'm going to be bringing Lady Jupes, parking her in the parking lot, uh. doing barbecue, grilling, not barbecuing. Sorry, Noah. Grilling for everybody. If you'll let me put my meat in your mouth, you can come there and eat my meat.
2: Well, <laughs> okay. I, I'm in.
1: All right. Very good. Very good. So LinuxFestNorthwest.org if you uh, want to check that out and if you're interested in going. I um I just say this because – I. I, I I still need to submit talks. I bet you do too. We both need to submit yep, our talks. Yep. I'm thinking about doing a talk about um, Castablasta. So who and end Castablasta separately
2: possibly, or we could do a combo
1: talk, so we should talk
2: about that. Yeah, let's talk about that. And then o- audio reading on Linux, you could definitely teach us a thing or two Oh, on that.
1: we totally could do, we could do our Jack segment as yeah, a yeah, talk. Fun. Why not? Oh man, because you know there's people there. I already know there's going to be people who are like how to podcast on Linux. There's always like two presenters that do that, and I'm always like, oh son, <laughs> oh child, you know, like I'm always like, oh yes, how you do it. And I don't mean to be demeaning, but it's always like, no, that's no, no, that's not going to work. Uh, so we that should could have a good Q and A section oh, too. It'll be so mm. much fun. Mm. Anyways, what I'm getting at is uh, I'm hoping that if we can get enough talks together. Um, including from somebody that you guys haven't heard of yet, and from the people that you know about on air, uh, maybe we could have a whole dedicated room at Linux Fest Northwest. It's just the Jupiter Broadcasting Room, so that'd be really cool. It's just another reason that this is the this is the year to go. If you've been thinking about giving it. talks all day, having a booth, live streaming. Doing a live Linux action Barbecues, news. Barbecues, maybe? Barbecue. And I mean, it's it's our big get together. I know it's a big ask to travel that far, but if you can make it. And the side benefit is, you know, even if you end up paying a Linux Fest Northwest,
0: which you won't, you won't. No. Bellingham's great. The Pacific Northwest is lovely. So just, you know, you can go on a surprise little summer vacation.
1: Yeah. Early summer. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, come see everybody. That's always part of the fun, is like there's a whole bunch of people there that love talking about what you're interested in. And that's just really rewarding. Anyways, that's all the housekeeping for this week. So let's move on to our WireGuard in production success story. So we set up here at the studio. On, on my workstation, I, I thought, well, just let's give it a go. It was one of those projects where I'm like, I'll just, I'll just see how hard this is and how far I can get. And then I got all the way. And I'm like, oh, well, now I've just put this in production on my workstation. Oops. <laughs> but I'll, I'll circle back to that. So WireGuard is a VPN that is built. Well, is it mainline now? It is mainline now, right, in the Linux kernel. It is now mainline, I believe, in the Linux kernel. I don't know if it's in kernel 4.15 because you need a DKMS. uh, um, You have to build a DKMS module to actually get it to work in 1804. But I set it up on an 1804 workstation. There's PPAs available, and it just builds super quick, and it's installed immediately. And what what you essentially get is the ability to start a new virtual interface, in a sense. It looks like another network interface on your Linux box. And you interact with it like you would any other interface. You can assign it an IP address, you can use IP tables to route traffic. It is like you have another network card yeah, right. in I your mean, box. You, you create it with IP link and then make a new one and just say
0: type WireGuard.
1: Yeah, and then it's up to the kernel to figure out what to do with traffic that's sent and received to this new interface. And that's where WireGuard comes in. And it it's, it's so great for somebody like me because I know how to work with network interfaces and IP tables and all of that. So it, within minutes, I had it up and installed, and then it was like, okay, well, now that I have an interface, I need to route traffic. So I'm gonna need to set up some IP tables rules to route that traffic, and it was just obvious. It was just obvious what yeah, the next step is. I mean, is. that wasn't that wasn't the hardest part at all for you. No, no, really, no, it wasn't the hardest part. Was was modifying our Microtech uh, router OS firewall. <laughs> that was the, that's where I got <laughs> yep, that's that where I got a... hung up. Um, go figure. Uh, but no, um, the, what I expected to be the hard part was the fact that. Because I'm apparently a masochist, I wanted to connect to the WireGuard VPN running on my Ubuntu box from an iPad. No. Well, no, of course you do. I know. iOS. Now, I'll tell you why. Is uh, So we have the Behringer X32 mixer, and it's got a... Oh. Linux powered. Yeah, it runs Linux. Our, our mixer runs Linux. And it's got a... Um, really awesome set of remote control capabilities, so much so that even the dials and sliders on this mixer are motorized. So if in software I pull down on a, on a, on a pot line, which is what these are called, um, the actual physical slider in the studio moves, and they have a touch app for the iPad that happens to fit the exact amount of channels that we use on the screen with real-time levels individual channel control and if i slide or mute or do anything on that ipad it's physically represented in studio oh yeah it's wild it just it just moves which is great because when you're here sitting in the seat that i normally sit in and you're sitting in front of the mixer and i'm in texas you can actually see me moving sliders and you
0: can see me moving though in yes both
1: ways it's so it's so great really nice so this is why I wanted to be able to do a v- WireGuard VPN from the iPad so I could have touch control of our mixer when I'm remote. And I could see everybody's levels, the mumble room, Wes's, mine, remote hosts, everything. But iOS is a son of a bitch. You can't just go to the App Store and install a WireGuard app. That's that's not a thing. That's not how it... That's not how Yeah, what do you think this is? Android? Yeah. We get a sideload. <laughs> you can go screw yourself if you want to sideload. So the way you have to do it is you have to join the test flight beta for WireGuard. And there's only a limited amount of slots. But I will have a link in the show notes if this is something you're interested in. Get in early. Linuxunplug.com/slash slash 279. They have been granted a networking stack privilege extension by Apple where they are where they are able to do a network level VPN connection. So it is a true kernel level VPN from the iOS device to my WireGuard system. And the traffic is then routed to my WireGuard box and I am able to I, my iPad is essentially on the LAN and it's I am completely capable of controlling the X32 mixer. It, it's just amazing. It was I mean it was really slick when we were
0: playing with it in the studio because you just I mean we just hit like you tap a button. You tap a button, start it up.
1: Yeah. And then it's live and it was latency so was fast yeah. too. Yeah. It's so fast. Like the connection is instant. And then you wouldn't even know you're going over. There's like, it, it, for what I've done, I've seen very little penalty for the VPN overhead. It's, it's pretty amazing. Um, and I, I think the entire thing took a, a 30 minute investment. You know, I you I asked you, I had to ask you a couple of things because you had done it before, so I bounced a couple of ideas off you. Yep. When I was, what was I trouble? What was I Oh, it was the remote connection stuff I was troubleshooting. Yeah, uh, and once we got that solved with Wes's help, it was just boom, done. Wes got Router OS into submission, and we were good. There's there's areas of improvement. I think um, I I would like to explore using it for persistent connections between, say, Mm-mm, the studio in Texas yeah. or the studio in Texas and the RV. Like, maybe a way to, like, do sort of, like, a kind of, oh, not a mesh, but almost like a Tink-style VPN. I don't know. Yeah. But, like, do, like, a WireGuard connection from the RV to the system in Texas and from the system in Texas to the studio and from the studio to RV. And, you know, like, do a complete, I don't know. That's something for the future I want to play with. Also, another thing that should probably happen is I should probably move it off of my workstation in my office. <laughs> Maybe pick something a little more permanent. Yeah, I was like, but where? Like, I I could throw it up in a VM on the free NAS box, possibly. Oh, yeah, that could work. We also have that dedicated KVM system running CentOS, but it's really old. It's like when Bitcoin was first released, old. That's how old it is. That's how mm, I measure okay, it. Okay, well, maybe the workstation's <laughs> looking better and <laughs> better. But I really, and you had it, you were playing with it off of a droplet, too. Oh, yeah, right? it works great. Mm-hmm. It, it, the connection establishes so damn fast that I, I literally do a ping every time just to make sure it's working because I'm like, how can it connect that fast? Like I have to like go ping the other machine on the other end just to make sure. <laughs> no way, it's possible. I'm, I was really impressed with yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the
0: nice features about it, right, is the way it doesn't have this kind of older style, really complicated, persistent connection to do. Uh, it's smart enough to just pick up when, you, when you've when you got a new one and it picks up and realizes, oh, hey, you're talking to me. The public key matches. my. Are you in my allowed IP set? Yes. All right,
1: there you go. Connection yeah. made. Yeah. Uh, so, if if you feel like this, uh, I guess it doesn't even there's so, there's so many uses for VPNs these days. I did I, I wouldn't even um I wouldn't even like put it in any particular box. Uh, but uh, what was the was it NordVPN that did a commercial? Hosted- I think there's several now, but yeah. You know. Okay, so it is something. WireGuard is something that the commercial VPN providers are starting to introduce. So you could play with it that way too if you just wanted to mess around with the client side of it. But I I gotta say. WireGuard, the WireGuard hype is real and it's pretty great and it's pretty easy to get running on a current released version of a Linux distro. You don't have to wait for it to, to show up baked into the kernel. It's super simple.
2: How did you guys find that um, compared to Tink VPN to set up?
0: Um, it's a... Uh... It's both simpler and slightly more complicated. There's a couple things to do in terms of like exchanging keys. That it, it's closer to SSH and Tink is. Well, I guess Tink is about the same. Mm. Does Tink have any GUI cap?
1: Uh, any GUI frontend to set it up? There might be. There might be some. I have not. Because that's them. an area WireGuard. I mean, if there was like a network manager front end to WireGuard, that would be really great. I guess I'd
0: have to say it's simpler because it has similar stuff around some of the key management. Which one? WireGuard. Uh, but right. then. You don't have to use the actual, you know, there's no program to run. You just install the module and then That's, create the interface.
1: That is really nice. It's system level. It's just baked now, in. Now, you don't get Tink's
0: magic of, you know, magically making a mesh and connecting peers and, and all that stuff, but it's it kind of, so in that sense, it's a little more complicated or it's a lower level primitive that you could
1: build more elaborate networks with. I wonder if there could be a, like a hosted key sharing system. Like could Keybase, for example, could could Keybase, could you add, could, could they? Could there be like a front end of WireGuard key exchanging that would make that a little easier? Because it's got these, It's. I like this key system. I think that's a good way to do it. But exchanging keys is, it's going to be like over email or chat. And those are um, vulnerable channels of communication. So it would be nice if there was like a keybase.io kind of way to.
2: Would uh, HashiCorp Vault work maybe? I don't
1: know, maybe. Maybe, I haven't, I, that's a good question. That's, a, that's That would be interesting. Either way, very happy with WireGuard. I'm
0: Yeah, I mean, I have a Tink
1: system set up now that I'll...
0: Part of it is a backbone from my parents' networks, my home network that I use like so I can get in and troubleshoot stuff for them, whatever. What do you think?
1: You're going to replace that with WireGuard? I think so.
0: Really? No, no. why? Why not stick with Tink? You know, I, I wanted to do some maintenance in that system anyway, and while I've been enjoying Tink, I just don't have that... M- I don't have a big enough mesh where I really need that sort of, you know, Tink is great for creating, like, one whole new overlay network that you want on top of everything, but I have more security domains than I You know, I don't want one big one, it mm-hmm. turns out, and yeah. I think WireGuard will be a very low-maintenance backbone VPN connection. Yeah, it that's exactly what Which, I think. to be fair, Tink has, too. I don't ever have to fuss with it, and it does just work. But I also see myself using WireGuard more often, so should I... Should I need to do any troubleshooting it'll be fresh in my mind.
1: Yeah, and it seems like the way of the future. Way of the future. The way of the future. I I really liked it. And um and it's going to be way faster than a lot of the competitors. And if if Apple is allowing it on test flight, then there's a good chance they're going to allow it in the App Store. And so there's a really good chance that we're going to have pretty good mobile OS support for WireGuard. And I think that's I think that's really really important. And the fact that it's so fast means that it's not a big deal for mobile travelers to just tap it
0: on and go. Yep, right. And you've already got stuff like um, you know like a Go version, various userland versions. I heard there was talk about maybe a free BSD kernel version whoa, sometime whoa, down the road. No way, really. Yeah maybe. Huh. Maybe. They already have one imports for the user land stuff too. So it's like, you know, yeah. the availability yeah. is
1: really climbing. Yeah. Well, how about uh we switch gears and talk about some app picks? What? Love the app picks. App-picks? Now, I've been I've been on a really slow decline with Reddit. Like it's been it's been really since I don't know, 2 years, 3 years, I can't even remember. Like it's just I don't know, slowly and slowly I use Reddit less. And less. And I find myself using smaller and smaller subreddits. So that I, the, the subreddits that I enjoy the most are the really small ones with like less than a thousand. A really focused community. Yes. There's not a lot of room yeah. for random trolls to come invade. Yeah. When you get above 5,000, like, I just, I don't know. It starts to turn toxic, I feel like. Um, but one way that I have been, and I, it, it's just a visual differentiator, but one way that I have been processing Reddit a lot easier is on the terminal, and I've been using an app that's likely in the repo.
0: I thought you were going to say, I mean, just based on this, you know, an iPad Pro application that was the best
1: way to browse Reddit. No, man, I don't like the I don't like the Reddit mobile app, and I also really freaking hate that when I go to Reddit on the web on a mobile device, they're like taking up like a solid fourth of the screen. It's huge, yeah, it's very annoying. A third of the screen, really. It's a third of the screen, almost half of the screen. They're taking up the full screen. They're is taking up your entire up. screen.
2: <laughs> And then there's that annoying nag they've put in lately, which is do you want to use our mobile app? That's yes, what I'm talking nope, about. No, nope, no, nope, 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 no, I don't. That's why I'm not using it. Go away.
1: That is what I'm talking about. That thing that takes up basically half the screen. Um, Three quarters is easy. It? <laughs> it's so annoying.
2: And it takes up the whole screen, Where's come on. Yeah, full screen, thing.
1: full screen, full screen. It's, uh, It's got to go. In the meantime, though, If you're on a Linux box, see if you have RTV in your repo. RTV is a terminal user interface for Reddit that allows logging into your Reddit account so you get your subreddits. I do. I do have it in my repo. You do. You do. Yeah. Um, And you can use external tools like it will launch your web browser or it can launch, you know, like a YouTube player. It's just a simple, um, oh, it's Python. It's a Python application. I thought it was something. It's a Python application. It's just a simple Python application. Browse Reddit. Uh, it has clipboard support. You can open media links in your preferred media player. It's got easy navigation through the front page. You can jump to your favy subreddits. You can open up specific user pages if you want to, like, uh, go uh, get creepy on a user. You can browse multi multi-reddits It's got support from multiple. Nice, okay. And search. And you can do it all from the command line. Something about seeing Reddit on the terminal makes it way more
0: palatable for me. I, okay, that was pretty easy. Now yeah. I'm browsing R Linux. I know
1: from the command line. Isn't that's that very great? Fitting. Yeah, if you're on Ubuntu, it's in the ter- It's in the repo already. It's a. It's it's on a lot of repos actually. I think it's in Fedoras, too. So that's uh, that's pick number one this week. Now, pick number two. Pick number two was to replace functionality on a Mac. The the Mac, if if you ever if you ever dip your toe into the Mac, like I, we've got uh, you know Final Cut on the Mac here that we used to use, thankfully, thankfully that's no longer the thing, uh, and the occasional Photoshop file. So you know I dabble from time to time, haven't had to for a while, and but one of the things that I noticed about the Mac is they got all these little one off applications like we have on Linux for everything. But they're all like pay for applications. Yeah, of course. They're all like five bucks, they're ten that, bucks. They got that healthy app store, Chris. Yeah, they sure do. Well, actually, it's struggling, but they still like to charge for everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but on the Linux side, a lot of the stuff is free. It's there. It's something we don't talk a lot about, maybe because you know we want people to make money and we want them to be able to res, you know make software make make money making software. Like that's a thing we all want. But there's so much shit that you get for free besides just the desktop. There's so much stuff and. And some of this stuff, uh, the Mac users have no idea about. And this is one of them you can really rub in their face, because this is hard to get on the Mac that's decent quality, that isn't at least 20 bucks. And you may have heard of it, but i got to tell you about it. It's called Sound Converter, and it's perfect for my workflow. And Sound Converter is exactly what it sounds like. It's an easy way to set up a preset, you drop some files in there, you hit go, and it converts them all to that, which as Wes probably has already guessed, it is great for our production flow here because we can record in a multi-track editor in huge WAV files, and then I can drop all these WAV files in Sound Converter. It spits them out as mono FLAC files and sends them off to Joe. Boom. Done. And it's the same thing, like, if you, if you want to convert a whole bunch of stuff to OG Vorbis or MP3, you just drop them all in here and you hit go. It saves you from writing out this whole complicated command line syntax, and the batch it, support sounds pretty nice there. And it has the benefit of giving you a GUI to expose all of the options you might possibly use, which is always really nice when you're getting started with conversion of media. You don't even know always what you can do. And uh, this has the option of doing resample or, like in my case, dropping it to Mono. Uh, it has the option of transcoding to a different format if it can, or just copying it if it's the, if it's going to the same format. I like that Opus is a handy default input right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it basically supports everything. I'm sure it's just using FFmpeg and a bunch of other great stuff under the hood, but uh, pff, honey badger over I don't care. This is just a great way to use it because I can go from the file manager, boom, I hit start, it puts it right in the directory I want, that syncs up to Joe, and I'm done. And it's just so nice because uh, there was an application on the Mac that used to do that, and it was it was legitimately like twenty dollars. And <laughs> I just I just see that kind of stuff, and I'm and I'm just overwhelmingly appreciative of uh, how enabling open source software can be for people that don't have immaculate huge ginormous uh you know uncle scrooge sized
0: budgets that's a really good point right cuz sometimes sometimes we're talking from the perspective of professionals or business yeah. or just high end high end people at home and that's very different from sort of the baseline
1: what should you be able to do with a computer yeah. for free you just you just if you just install this you get that and it's it's um because there's so many options it's easy to uh to forget how valuable that is uh, and then but when i switched over to the mac and i'm like I mean, this is something I can do for free. You're telling me I got to spend 20 bucks? Like This is ridiculous. And I was incensed by it. And I, was like, I, I, I have lost that appreciation for just how much comes with Linux that is just totally free besides the desktop itself. And I feel like the conversation is always around the value of the desktop. But it's really, it's the entire ecosystem, right? It's the applications, it's the support, it's all of it that's free. And that's huge. So, uh, and this is just one of those great applications, you can get it. We'll have a link in the show notes, linuxunplugged.com slash 279. And go there and get links to everything we talked about. There's also the contact page there if you would like to send us some of your feedback. We have the subscribe link there if you want to get this show every single week, and we encourage that. Just around the corner is our predictions episode and our roundup and look back and our future casting is what I'm going to call it. where we, we If we had a magic wand, if we could uh, just make something happen where uh, – what would, what Not would that constrained be. by the sad
0: bounds of reality. No,
1: no, no, and of course it's a great opportunity for you to get involved in that virtual lug. Give us your predictions and all of that. So we'll do one the day after Christmas, Wednesday the twenty sixth. Yeah, escape
0: then, your family. You're tired of visiting with them. Come hang out yeah. with
1: us. You got a hangover? Just sit in your chair and chat in our mumble room in cast. Eggnog is welcome and, and the allowed. D- the day after New Year's, we'll we'll have a we'll have a show then too, and you can make your predictions, get it on the record. And yeah. I have been keeping a list of predictions. And checking it twice, and I'm feeling really good about my predictions this year. I think it's my best year ever of predictions. So you better get started. Oh boy, don't okay, This is this is tough. Go get more Wes over at techsnap.systems. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you right back here next Tuesday. Unplug show. There we go, 279 in the can. Let's go pick our title. And Mr. Payne, without further ado, how's that keyboard over there? Uh-oh. It's not quite in flames. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's on fire We're right now. We're having a little bit
0: of a compilation error that I'm working through right now. <laughs> All right, well, you got a post show, but I, there's a
1: lot of C plus plus here uh, to I, to go through. I feel like uh, you do well under pressure. You'll get this. All right, we'll check back in with Wes Payne and how he's doing on getting his keyboardio on fire. We have to also pick our title, so uh, we still have we still have some housekeeping to get to. Thank you, Mumble Room. Always enjoy having Wire, you guys. Wire
2: Guardians of the Galaxy, that is good.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Wow. Yeah. W- w- what does that have to do with anything? Where did that come from? <laughs> Why? guard? Oh, Wireguard, I see. Ah, I see. Come on. Oh, I see. You just heard the galaxy. I did, yeah. Dar, are you on the DEX stock again this week? Yes, I am. You maniac. You maniac. Well, I am doing a Torah experiment, so Yeah. I, I'm like, I'll, I'm also using the Icon X headphones, so. Ah. I, do. I also like uh, Embarrassing, Embarrassing, that's pretty good. Wire Guardians of the Galaxy, those really great. Man, we have some, those are some good ones. Embarrassing is also pretty good. It's hard to say though. Micro K8s on Ubuntu. I no longer you. Oh, <laughs> I like you. Yeah, I no longer MBU. This is this is the good one. Ah. Oh, does anybody? Okay. All right. So does anybody have any travel hacks for me? Doing a lot of travel these days. You guys have any tips to make travel easier?
2: Have you got one of those little? Um, uh, what's it called? Little. I've got this on my desk here. It's a little travel router, smart router, and it runs Open WRT or something and it it connects to hotel wi-fi so you do the captive portal once and then all your devices are magic like a chromecast just works it's great
1: I have been thinking more and more about that because I could also WireGuard from that, right? So that could establish a WireGuard connection back to the studio. Yeah. yeah. And that could be extremely useful and I could just route the 192 network over there. Um, and so I,
2: I used it in the summer when I was over to get BBC iPlayer in America. Um, so I just VPN back to England using that little box. It's hmm. great. Hmm. Is it a GLInet one? Yes, I have. The GLMT300N
1: GLI stuff is great. Lens, OpenWRT, right out of the box. They don't do too much. They do have their own custom interface, but that's not really? too bad. Could you... You should throw a link. Yeah. I have, like, three of them. Link it up. Put it in the chat room. Uh, <clears throat> so this is... Does does OpenWRT have, like, a capacity for, like, connecting to wi too? And what about the double NAT issue, uh, Badger? Do you, do you have issues with double NAT when
2: you do this? It will repeat Wi-Fi just fine, and double NAT, I... Don't know because I'm only ever going outbound because I'm usually where the thing is, so I haven't tried. Hmm. To, I'm worried about NAT too much. Sorry,
1: All right, I got to check this out. We got to link this up because this could be this could be nice. Um, the other the other thing that we were playing with is a little project called Iodine, and this has, oh, this has been fun. Yeah, this has a lot of potential. Iodine allows you to and correct me if I'm wrong tunnel TCP traffic over DNS. Yep.
2: Try out SSH Shuttle for that. It's much easier to set up. And it just works over SSH. I'll
1: look into this too, SSH Shuttle. Um, but the nice thing about Iodine is it's, it has, it, DNS has to work for a lot of these captive portals to work. So if you're on a network that has a captive portal, uh, in order for the page to load, DNS is likely working. And so you can exploit that to get access to the internet uh, without having to accept the cap- captive portal. Which I think has a lot of potential. It is not super fast. It's no, like it's like you can hope for up. maybe
0: like two hundred kilobits per second or something. But. Yeah,
1: it's it's straight up. Is it is it shuttle with two S's or is it?
2: Yeah, I just uh, dropped a link into IRC for you. Okay, all right, all
1: right, all right. This is happening. We're we're getting down on all of this, Um so iodine has the potential to keep me connected in situations, maybe like when I'm in the air that I normally couldn't be connected uh, for for. Text messaging and email and IRC and Slack and Telegram. No live streaming. No, not for not, not for Netflix or anything like that. I did see somebody trying to watch Netflix on the airplane on the flight back. Oh really? Mm-hmm. How did that go for them? Because I found
0: those connections to vary a lot. I, I don't I don't I didn't watch closely. The trick is you
1: download, man. That's why Netflix on mobile devices allows you to download content before you travel. Maybe they downloaded. That might be it. Maybe they downloaded. Yeah, so s shuttle is that is that what I'm looking for here?
2: Yeah, this looks s s h shuttle. Yeah, yeah s shuttle. I suppose it is. I've just put some aliases in the uh, IRC for you too, so it, it puts thing, the pid file up, so you can run it as a daemon in the background. So oh, very nice, very nice. Mm. Yeah,
1: transparent proxy server that works as a poor man's VPN, forwards over SSH, doesn't require admin, supports DNS tunneling. That's great. I didn't. I've used it for just the the regular stuff, but I didn't know it had the DNS component. A DNS tunneling could be pretty pretty great. I uh, it's in the uh, it's in the repo too. Hmm. So it's a pretty low barrier of entry here. I'll put a link to this in the show notes. I think this is also worth checking out. Thank you, sir. That's a good travel hack. Yeah. See, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. I like this stuff.
2: I use it to get around corporate firewalls. So your mileage, because you can put SSH on port four four three. And then use Corkscrew to tunnel your SSH through on port four four three, so most proxies can't tell the difference between that and SSH traffic. Right. So
1: right, yeah, and um, that's the thing about DNS tunneling is like they can't shut down DNS or else that breaks a lot of stuff. So they're kind of stuck. DNS is sort of essential <laughs> for all this to work. <laughs> so that's what's great about being able to tunnel over DNS is sort of the gotcha, uh, the gotcha maneuver. Hmm. Well, um, I like that. Thank you. I'll take a look into all of that. If anybody else has any travel tips, uh, travel hack tips. Yeah, we can all get by better together. Yeah, yeah. At Chris Elias. Oh, uh, Badger, it looks like J6 is saying in the uh, chat room that there's actually a system D service uh, for S-Shuttle, too. So that could be the
2: way to go. Yeah, I can imagine there is.
1: All right, Mr. Payne. It's the last check-in of the show. How are we doing over there? How is the keyboardio treating you? Okay, well, I I was able to build the clean firmware for the keyboard. Okay.
0: Now I haven't tested it yet, so we can do that.
1: Oh, really? So you rebuilt the entire firmware? Yes. Oh my goodness! And and you're about to deploy it to the keyboard? Uh, well, we certainly. I mean, let's that's do the, it. That's the next step. Yeah. Now it
0: doesn't have the plugin modifications. Oh, that's gonna be the that'll be the trick after this,
1: assuming assuming this works. All right, let's do it. So let's. Uh, Let's send that new interface over. Uh, so this firmware, by the way, so the, it go, the interface is USB-C, but the keyboards themselves are actually in two pieces. Combined together, look like butterfly wings. And they're connected with what seems to be an Ethernet cable between the two different keyboards. Westpane Payne plugging it in right now, getting ready to deploy the new Keyboardio firmware. Yeah, let's see here. Custom firmware for a custom keyboard with beautiful mechanical key switches A nice maple wood enclosure and Linux firmware inside the hardware. All right, Wes. All right. Um, I mean, it's kind of anticlimactic. It is, right? Well, there's like (laughs) a lot of steps here, okay? You know Uh, what? You know what we'll have to say is uh, I guess tune in next week to find out if it works. That's right, tune in next week where I'll be exclusively using the keyboardio.
2: (laughs) Really? Do we get that handy dandy music again next week? (laughs) Yes.